Guys, can be seated. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of all these songs today that have all pointed to one hope, and that is Jesus Christ, Father. Father, as we come in this room today and we're distracted and we're apathetic and we're tired and weary and sick, Father, remind our hearts that you are king and that you are supreme. Father, move in our hearts today, Lord. Please speak to us, make your name known, and receive all the glory today. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and uh, we are so glad you joined us this morning. Uh, before I jump in, just a couple of things, I want to remind you, we're in the middle of what's called our month of hope. If you see this kind of sticker on your envelope, and this month we're just kind of highlighting some of our focuses of mission that we kind of focus on as a church. Uh, last week we focused on King's Church in New Orleans. We're sending Stephen off in a few weeks um, to plant a church, um, and today we're going to highlight just our church's initiative towards adoption and foster care, and orphan care. And uh, we're going to have a, a couple, Ben and April come up in a little bit and share with us kind of their story of what God's doing in their lives to encourage us. But um, as God puts on your heart today, as we talk about adoption here in a little bit, and, and later on in the service, Father, uh, in the service, if you feel led to uh, give towards that initiative, we have a fund that goes towards families to help them adopt children and cover some of the huge costs associated with that, um, and you want to give that today, just write on your envelope that it's for adoption. So we know what it's for, we can put it towards that, and um, that'll be great. And so, um, so we've been in this series uh, called Foundations, and talking through what are the foundations of the church, and the foundations of even Covenant Church, how we kind of flesh this thing out here uh, for us. And so today, we're going to just kind of talk through this idea, if you've been in church at all, this idea of called discipleship. Or this process of how we become like Jesus. Um, so in the past few months, I have watched a few documentaries on Scientology. Don't worry, don't freak out for a second. And as you watch these things, they have this like stair-step method where you keep paying money apparently and going to classes and weird things to achieve these levels of, of um, enlightenment or something crazy and weird like that. And... Um, that is their process of discipleship. And, um, and I think sometimes we all come from different backgrounds, uh, different churches, denominations, experiences. We've all had things in our lives of how we've kind of um, walked with God differently. I was thinking about this morning, um, I grew up at Calvary Baptist Church in Shreveport. Great church. Uh, oh, wow, man. And... Um, and uh, I went to school there. I was a cavalier, the green and gold, and all the things. That's so weird to say that. And it's like 100 years ago. And, uh, but the first time I really began to walk with God, I was a teenager. I was 15, 16, 17 years old. And I was thinking about, well, what did I do? Like, what did we do? And, I, and, I was, and, and Leighton was there with me, and, um, if you can only imagine. And I was thinking, so this is our, this is our kind of schedule of the week. So Sunday mornings. 9.30, what's going on at 9.30? Sunday school, right? Sunday school, free donuts. And we were so mean to our teacher. We, really, I mean, we were terrible to him. I'm, I'm serious. Terrible stories, not loving at all. We do that. At 10.30, we 
we have church. We go in there. We're part of that. We kind of sit by our friends. We do this thing. We had our youth section, right? We know about that. And um, it was so good. We, then we go home for a little bit, and we come back at about uh, probably 4.30 for our training class on discipleship or something like that. And we would do that from like 4.30 to 5.30. And then from like 5.30 to 6.30, we had what's called youth choir. And I'm not going to lie, I loved youth choir because I have a great voice, and it could come out in that moment. And um, we did youth choir. And then we had church at 6.30. And then we normally we go to either Posadas or Applebee's right after church, right? We would do those things every single week. And then Monday night, we had visitation. where So here was with our youth group, to go to mission trip, you had to earn points to go on mission trip. And so you got points by going to visitation. So at our church, we had like 50 youth at visitation every, every single Monday, Monday night. And our pastor was so happy. He thought we were the best church in the world. All these, we'd go and knock on doors, and we would just talk to people, invite them to church. These are all good things. These are all good things. And then Wednesday night, we had our youth service. Then Friday nights, we had, uh, what was it called, like a fourth quarter, fifth quarter or something like that after the football games. And so we had this whole list of things that we did. And the truth is... Um, I have friends who are still friends in Christ to this day through walking in that ministry. Um, I, I found God in ways I hadn't found before in that kind of ministry. And so I came from this programmatic kind of thing. And God definitely worked through that. And the truth is, every one of us has some kind of story, either similar or way different, of how we have kind of been discipled and grown up in this. Some of us think, okay, if I just go to his class and learn about Jesus, I'm going to be good. Or if we just go do this service project and we do this thing for Jesus, that is what discipleship is. That's what we should do as a church. We have all these things, all these backgrounds, all these experiences that we think we should do. And the question is, um, how do we grow in this, actually? If we remove all of the cultural things, all of the context things, all of the traditional things, how do we actually grow in Christ? How do we become more like Jesus? Because there are some core things that are there that even in the midst of all those programs that I was in, you know what the best times were in those times for me? was not the programs. It was the act of the service. It was on the Friday nights when I was talking with my youth pastor or, or with my friends and we talked about God. It was those in-between moments when I was actually myself and the gospel became real in my life. And so let's go to Ephesians 4. And, this, and we've been in this passage a lot the past few weeks. We just keep coming back to this. It's such a clear picture of how God, is, God works in the church. Ephesians 4, I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do all the work of ministry. Nope, doesn't say that. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is not my notes, just one quick note about this. It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Those are all very different leaders to equip the body for the works of ministry. It's not to do the ministry, it's to equip the body of Christ, all of us, to do this work. And we'll need men and women who are different, 
Some are very, very pastoral. Some are very, very apostolic, want to start new works, do new things. Some are evangelists. They want to just share the good news with every person in the world. We need all those types of people to equip us for the works of ministry. Sometimes we get caught up on wanting a pastor or a teacher, in a sense, to do the work of ministry, to make us feel encouraged, to make us feel good. We need all five types of leaders, apostles, prophets to speak hard truths that we do not want to hear, evangelists to share the good news, shepherds to care for the flock, and teachers to teach God's word so that we are a full, healthy body of Christ. Let's keep going. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, Tossed to and fro by the waves. Who in this room today, don't raise your hand, feels like they are just tossed to and fro every single day? You're just beat up and you're tired and you're confused and you're apathetic. Carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So just looking at this, this passage, just for one second, you see one thing. Discipleship is all about Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is all about Jesus and nothing else. So we tend to think of kind of two ways in this idea of Jesus. The first is we want to learn about Jesus. Like he is Abraham Lincoln. Learn facts, learn dates, learn stories. We learn about Jesus Christ. And the second thing we, we tend to do is do lots of works for Jesus. In the name of, we, we go and we serve meals at the hub. We go and we set up chairs. We go do all these things in the name of Jesus. But we, we know these things and we do these things, yet we're still tossed to and fro, Right? Here's the thing. Verse 15 says, We are to grow up in every way into Him, into Christ. Grow up in every way into Christ. That means your entire life under the submission of Jesus Christ. That all of your life looks like it says here the stature of the fullness of Christ. That your life is completely submitted to him. Your patience, your, your love for your kids, the way you work, the way you spend your money, the way you treat your neighbor, all these things under the submission of Jesus Christ, which is completely impossible. We hear that, and, and many times we go right to the weight of that. Okay, okay, I've got to go do this now. And we come up, and we're tossed to and fro, and we're tired, we're exhausted, and we're just kind of done with the whole thing. But here's the truth. We grow into Christ through trusting in the work of Christ. So this fullness of Jesus Christ was completely finished and completed by him. So our role now to actually grow and become like Jesus is to trust in our new identity. And we do that today 
and tomorrow and the next day and over 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 again. And we slowly and painfully begin to grow, begin to trust, begin to rest, begin to have joy. And so we grow into Christ through trusting in the work of Christ. And sometimes we say that and we kind of just blow right past the works of Christ. And so just for real quick, what are the works of Jesus Christ? What did Jesus do on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf? Very quickly, Jesus was God, was God. He humbled himself and came to earth as a baby. He completely humbled himself. He lived the perfect life. Just think through your morning. Think through how you've been anxious, impatient, mean, angry, just this morning. He lived the perfect life. He, he lived the life that was the picture of what life looks like under God's reign. If you want to know what life is like when God is fully in control, look at the life of Jesus. He lived the perfect life. He suffered and he died for our sins because someone had to suffer and die for your sins. Someone had to suffer and die for my sins. But here's where the good news comes in. Death is terminal. Death is final, which means your past, your present, your future sins were terminated through his death. They are gone. It doesn't end there. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. We just sang this for for 20 minutes. This right here we just sang. We sing this every Sunday to thank God and for it to be real in our hearts. Because we leave here and we live lives as if this is not true. That he died for our sins and then rose again and trampled death, right? Death, where is your sting? We love to sing that line, don't we? We love to sing that line. But we get out outside these walls and immediately we're afraid of everything. Whether it's a politician or terrorism or death or sickness or just being irritated. We just live our lives in constant anxiety and fear. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead now resides in us, the body of Christ, as we trust in his finished work. The Christian faith is not a powerless faith. The Christian faith is full of power. And many times we walk around like we have nothing, like we're in shame, we're broken. No, you've been made new in Christ. This is how we, the church, are disciples. Our first point, we grow by trusting the gospel. That's the most simple point I've ever had, I feel like. But we grow by trusting the gospel. Listen, at the core of everything we do here at Covenant Church, our songs, our community groups, our our weekend services, uh, everything, at the very center of this that launches everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we just talked about. That is the absolute center. And if we ever stray away from that, we are off. And I think many times in my heart, in my life, I stray away from this. And we as a church do too. Listen, discipleship is not a functional to-do list. 
I would love if it was. If I could be a Scientologist and have a plan that ended somewhere, that'd be great. But that's just not real. Discipleship is not a functional to-do list. It is a supernatural trust. It's moving from death to life through Jesus. That is discipleship. Moment by moment, day by day. Listen, this trust is a humbling trust. It is so humbling to say that I need a Savior. And we're here on Sundays, and we're kind of in our church mode, and we say, well, of course, Jason, you need a Savior. But the truth is, I don't live my life that way. And you, many times, don't live your life that way. We live as if we're we're these orphans still, that are completely on our own, that that Jesus didn't accomplish all this for us already, and we live in this just sense of just mess and a lack of joy. Our problem is we are functional unbelievers. We use this phrase a lot, um, well, are you a believer? Well, I'm a believer. We're all functional unbelievers, that we say we believe in God, but we live our lives as if we don't. Look at verse 14. It says here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness. So think about this. We live, if you just drive home, you will see billboard after billboard after billboard of human cunning. That it's preaching to you a gospel that says this right here. This thing right here will make you whole. That you are not enough and you need this. That if you save this much for retirement, you'll be completely good. If you eat this way, you'll be healthy and live forever. It is a subtle lie of the world and we buy into it every single day. We go to social media and we see this and we see that and we functionally believe in those things to provide happiness and joy and peace. And they can never fulfill their promises. It says, tossed by a lack of knowledge of who God is. Many times we are tossed because we don't know who God is. Because our minds are filled with all this other mess. We can tell you a whole roster of football teams. We can tell you the latest reality show. We can tell you about this and about that, but we have no true knowledge of who God is. We have nothing to cling to, nothing to hold on to. So learning who God is is very important. We were in our huddle a few weeks ago talking about this idea of theology. And what we tend to do with theology is try to learn things to figure out God and argue with others, don't we? That we can figure out God So what we tend to do is to reduce God to being very, very small and making ourselves very, very big. When when you truly study God in humility, what you see is that God is way bigger, way more mysterious, way more grand, and we are way smaller than we ever could have imagined. But here's the good news. As we learn who God is, we can trust this big, mysterious, loving, sovereign God. But we are so busy studying God Learning just trash. Just stuff that in five months won't matter. Not even five years. We just fill our lives with these things. And part of the role of a pastor and a preacher is to tell us to wake up and search your heart today. How much of your life is just filled with just junk 
that is keeping your eyes off of who God is. We're also tossed by pride in ourselves. That we think that we can do this. That we, we're good. We don't need God's work. We're going to go out. We're going to live this life. And some of you are so disciplined that you actually look really good doing it. You read God's word. You're, you're nice to others. I'm not without God's power. Some of you are actually nice people. All these things, you do this in your own power. But there's no real fruit, and inside your soul is in torment. So if we're tossed to and fro, if continually there's all these messages in our lives, how do we begin to fight that battle? How do we walk day to day in this world that we live in? We have to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to learn. It's a skill that we need to learn. Some of us are good at lots of things. Some of you can fish, can hunt, can build things. I can do none of those things. But we have to learn the skill of preaching the gospel to ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul says here, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And hear this, church, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take each thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, Another way of thinking about this is to make sure that what you're thinking lines up with what is true of Jesus and what is true of your new life in him. So if you see this thing that says you've got to have this to be happy, you're like, well, in Christ I'm completely secure. I'm not fearful of death. I'm not going to have to cling to this thing to make me happy. Make sure it conforms to the truths of the gospel. This is why it's so important to know the gospel. Jesus humbly came, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, and now rose again so that we can live in victory over death and sin. So to preach the gospel, we meditate and we rehearse. This is why Christians read their Bible. We don't do it to win arguments. We don't do it to post on Facebook. We don't do it for this or for that. We do it to meditate on the gospel, to be reminded of the gospel so that, like this week, like a few weeks ago, I was just discouraged. I've been off the back for two weeks, and I was like busy. I was working it. I was getting stuff done. I was like, oh, I'm so good at this. I am awesome. And then I had one conversation. Seriously, one conversation like, oh, gosh, I want to quit. I can't do this. Literally, talked with Tracy. I was like, I don't know. She's like, you're fine. You're fine. Just settle down. And I spent literally three or four days rehearsing the gospel. I am safe in Christ Jesus. I am completely loved even when I fail. I have no fear of death and sin. I'm a son of the king. I literally spent three or four days preaching it over and over and over. And here's the truth. I didn't feel better right away. But I'll tell you this. I learned to trust God deeper in those three or four days. We meditate. We read. We study God's word. We search out his promises of who he is. And then we faithfully pray and we beg God to reveal himself to us. Of his good news to us. How we're adopted in him now. We beg him and we pray. We fast and ask God to reveal himself to us. We do these disciplines, but we do not do do them apart from the gospel. Or they're just ways for us to be self-righteous. We meditate on the gospel. And then in our minds and our hearts, we rehearse it over and over and over and over again. 
And that's good news for us today. But it doesn't just stop there. Because in the West, we tend to think, okay, I can do this by myself. I'll take the gospel and I'll pick myself up and I'll use the gospel and I'll be so holy and joyful and loving. It's just not true. God has not wired us that way. We're made in the image of God. God is what? Three in one. And the very image of God is community. And the very image of God is one another. And we have been wired and created the exact same way. So the gospel came to free us, to give us new life, but it also came to create a family of God. We, second point, we grow by trusting the gospel in all of life with each other. That sounds exhausting. We are joined together in Christ. Hear this. We are joined together in Christ. That is our connection point. I think of an image of like, um, like people like this right here. And this thing that connects us, many times what we think connects us is we have the same interest. I like football. You like football. Oh, cool. We're friends now. That kind of thing. Or, or I vote this way, Right? I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, or, or I make this much money. Many times in this room, race dictates what connects us. We have all these things that we think connect us, that join us together, that get the foundation for our relationship. But if we're the true church, if we are God's church, there is one thing that connects us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a room full of freed slaves and adopted sons and daughters. And that is good news for us today. And if that is our foundation, if that is our connection, we have something to work with. But if our foundation, if our connection is we have the same interest, we're flimsy and we're no different than the rest of the world. And it's why over and over you're frustrated with people in this church because our foundation is how they treat you, if they're like you, if they bother you. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that gospel is foundation, a lot can come at us, and we will not be tossed to and fro. We need each other to help us not be tossed to and fro. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, Republican nor Democrat. There is neither slave nor free, nor male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we don't live in the mindset of this oneness, two things are happening. First, we're not believing the gospel. We're believing something else, some false gospel. But second, we're missing a huge apologetic for the gospel. John 17, Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. What is he praying right before he dies? God, make them one so that the world can see how good you are. When we don't live in this foundational of gospel oneness, we are missing out on this huge picture to a dark, lost, and hurting world of how good God is and what it can look like to be a part of God's kingdom. This foretaste of God's kingdom. So this, is, this is completely countercultural. Because we live, in such a, we live in a very tribal world now. You know, we have these Republican tribes. <laughs> Democrat tribes. We have CrossFit tribes, right? We have Plexus tribes. 
We have eat all natural tribes. We have sell all your stuff tribes. We have all kinds of tribes in the entire world. These are all okay. Those aren't bad things. They're, they're fine and good things. But they should and they must pale in comparison to our oneness and the supremacy of being one in Christ. They should pale in comparison. We shouldn't think so much about our little tribe when we're a part of this big, great tribe of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's a subtle lie. It's a subtle lie. But God teaches a different story. Because we believe... So I listened to stand-up one time, and he was talking about, you relate to this, the greatest thing in the world, he said, is to cancel plans on somebody. Because like you were thinking, okay, I got I to take a shower, I got to get dressed, I got to go do this. But then you just, two ways, I, I can't do it. In that moment, right when you cancel plans and you're freed from being around people, it's the greatest moment in the world. It's complete freedom. I can now just sit on my couch and watch TV and be in glory. And that's funny, and, and I feel that many times myself, but I'll tell you, it's a subtle lie that we believe over and over and over and over and over again, and our souls are starving for something more. It is a subtle lie. Because here's the truth. Being joined together by Christ, it literally nourishes us. It literally grows us. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Many times we're not growing, we're not nourished because we're starving for community and for people. See, we see this in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't have like his time to go watch Netflix and chill. Jesus was continually investing and around other people. The early church, they did everything together. They shared possessions, they shared life, they shared meals. They were this picture of one community. Look at this image here on the screen. This is a picture, I feel like, of how we perceive life and how we try to fit in community. It's just one of the balls that we're juggling. And I think for many of us, We would say the church is the biggest thing that we're juggling. It's the most important thing that we're juggling. And that's a good thing and and, and a nice thing. But in a sense, we're still juggling. And we're so tired from juggling. Because we were never created to do this alone. We were never created to do this alone. Look at the next image real quick. Church is not another ball for you to juggle, but it's that which defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to my life. What if you didn't see community and this oneness as a ball to juggle, but instead as the community that helps accomplish the mission God has sent you on? What if it wasn't one other thing you were doing, but it was the center and the family you're doing it with? We do this, I think, pretty well with our nuclear families. Many of you in this room will ask your brother, your sister, your mom, and your dad for help. They'll help you watch kids, help you pay for stuff, help you do all these things. And so we live this life with this kind of nuclear family at the center. 
But here's the truth, church. God has given us a wider, extended family to do this with. Me personally. So a year ago or so, Trace said she wanted to adopt. And I was like, well, let's just, let's just pause on that. And she kept praying and bothering and bothering and bothering. And I was like, okay, let me go online. And um, it costs $40,000 to adopt from China. And I'm a very rich man, but I'm not that rich. And, and so we told, our, we told y'all, simply. Yes, we told our parents and, and our family. They, they helped, absolutely. But we told you guys. And literally, Hattie Jane would not be here without y'all. That's a picture of the church. Not one more thing we juggle, but the church coming together to fulfill this mission God puts on our hearts. And God's put things on your heart, and he's given you brothers and sisters with talents, with gifts, hear this, with money, that want to be a part of helping you accomplish God's mission in our life. Listen, church, you need help. You cannot do this alone. I cannot do this alone. God has given us the the family of God to accomplish the mission of God. And everything we need for the mission is in the family. We can watch kids, we can raise money, we can go build things, uh, I can encourage people to build things, we can do all this stuff in the family of God. So you need help. And second thing, we're doing all of life as a family, you need to be exposed. That's fun. You need to be exposed. You have lots of warts. You have lots of sin. You have lots of things that are not fallen under the belief that Jesus Christ is king. You have many things. You need to be exposed. That's when we really get to work. Until we're exposed, we're really just playing games, right? We're kind of like this right here, and we're kind of doing this church thing. But God's not really at work in our lives because we're not really known. Listen, we all need to be exposed more. We all do. So the question, as you're living life together, and, and you see the way I parent my kids, sometimes talk to my wife, sometimes spend money, sometimes do this. When you see my life, you will see sin. The question is not if, but when, as we do life together. And the question is, well, what do we do? So when I see sin in your life, and you see sin in my life, and whenever I'm struggling, and whenever you're struggling, well, what, is, what do we do as the body of Christ? Do we call a pastor? Do we do this? Do we do this? No. Let's go to verse um, 15. It says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That same gospel that we meditate and rehearse in our own minds and our own hearts, we give to each other. We learn and we grow in being gospel fluent people. We learn and we grow at how to speak life into each other. Not just good advice, but to speak good news. Because when my marriage is falling apart, I don't just need good advice. I need good news. When I can't pay my bills, I don't need good advice. I need good news. When I am sick and I'm struggling, I don't need good advice. I need good news. And this is why we must be committed to meditating and rehearsing the gospel in our lives. Meditating and rehearsing the gospel. Because our nourishment we give each other is Christ. Over and over and over and over again. 
And here's what's, what's just so amazing. As we as people just see our need and we trust the gospel, as we meditate, as we rehearse the gospel to ourselves, and then to each other in all of life, what happens is God starts doing this thing that we cannot explain. He creates this body, this lighthouse that looks like his kingdom. And we live lives full of joy. And then finally, our last point, the fruit of trusting this gospel is demonstrating and declaring the gospel. We, we talk a lot about uh, being this community on mission. And, and as we've talked this past few weeks about this idea of persevering in the mission of God. Church, hear this about the mission of God. We talk about what we love. And we talk about what works. If you don't love the gospel, and it's not at work in your life, you will not talk about it. I'm going to read you, this is a Facebook post from somebody I'm friends with, nobody in this church, don't worry, this week about a product they were, they're selling, a testimony. Last night was amazing. When you sit in a room full of people sharing testimonies about what blank has done for them, truly life-changing testimonies, it is really hard to not want to share what blank with everyone you know. I've been hearing amazing testimonies for three years now. And y'all, they keep getting better and better and more and more people I know and love have their own personal testimonies. Everyone, and I mean everyone, needs blank. The amazing part of most of these testimonies I hear is just about everyone starts for a particular reason and they find so much more. Something completely unexpected they didn't even realize they needed. Church, we talk about what we love. We talk about what works. If the gospel is not good news to you, you will never be on mission. You'll just kind of just go in motion. If the gospel is not good news to us, we will never, ever be on mission. And there are many things in our life that we see that we believe works and that we value and love, and so our lives center around those things. In church, we are trading in lesser things, right? We sang this song earlier, trade lesser things for greater things. Our lives, honestly, many times are full of trading the greatest thing for lesser things. And to, to talk about this missional will starting without this true love for God and his change in your life, we will go nowhere. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. True enjoyment of God will always lead to mission. Helping others see the beauty that you see as God shines on your face, your, your, your sunburn with the, with the glory of God. We're all a bunch of pale people around here that are just have not been shined by God on his face because we're so full of just all these lesser things. So I'm going to ask you real quick. Everybody got a card? This right here. If you'll take this out for me real quick, I'm going to just kind of bother you for a minute with this. Because my heart as a pastor is to see you take steps in this, is to walk with you through this, is to pray for you through this. To equip you in the gospel. So today, I, I just got three points. Three application points. 
if you will just kind of write it down so I can know how to encourage you and pray for you. Today, your point might simply be to trust the gospel. That you kind of just are playing this game and you're, exci- you're exhausted and you're not rested. And you just simply need to trust in the finished work of Jesus. Let us know that so we can encourage you and pray for you. Some of you need to join a community and for all of your life. Like some of you are in a community group, but you're in it like I'll show up once a week or I'll show up once a month. But some of us in today, we have to rearrange the life. We have to stop believing the subtle lie that we can do this on our own, that there is not nourishment and joy found in community. And need to actually join up with the community in all of life. And some of us today might just want to have help in rehearsing the gospel to yourself and to others. And we would love to equip you and help you and point resources to you to help you learn how to meditate and rehearse the gospel in your life. What is your step today? What is God putting on your heart? Maybe it's something else completely. Let us know what it is, because imagine this. Imagine a church that truly trusted the gospel together. Not as lone rangers, but together. How we would grow in love and patience for each other. And how as we grow in love and in patience, our neighbors and the world would take notice. And our neighborhoods would be transformed because we started today and we trusted the gospel together. That there would be orphans that are out there right now that are cared for and adopted because today we trusted the gospel together. That there would be poor and homeless that are fed and housed because today we trusted the gospel together. If, if we move from being a programmatic church to a gospel-centered church, what could God do? Can you imagine what God could do? So that's my, that's my challenge for us today, is to simply trust in the gospel together. We're going to take communion here in a moment. And there's no greater picture of the gospel than this right here. It's a tangible reminder of what Christ did for us. That his body was broken for us. That his blood was shed for us. But now we live as freed sons and daughters in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news you came to proclaim. That we're no longer alone. That we have hope in this life and in death. That you have made us ambassadors for your kingdom and sent us on the greatest joy and ride and adventure of our lives. Father, forgive us for desiring lesser things. Father, speak to us. Make yourself known to us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As far as communion goes, uh, this is for anybody who considers themselves a follower of Jesus. Going to be a member of this church, just a member of God's church. Please come when you're ready.